What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Tip of the Cap podcast. I am fortunate enough to be here today with my buddy Charlie Karstet from Full Circuit. And uh, Charlie, thanks for coming out. Appreciate you having me, man. So uh, I'm going to start this the same way I start with every guest. Um, and just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you came from, and how Full Circuit came to be a thing. So I'm from Eden, New York. Originally went to high school at Eden. Um, was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to go play ball at University of Buffalo, which unfortunately is no more um, after they dropped the ball program recently. But um, after I graduated, I decided I want to get, you know, stay into the baseball world and the training side of things, instruction side. So at 23, I started full circuit. Uh, I actually started out of the back garage of my family's auto shop, rolled out an old crappy piece of turf that I found and created a little cable system net that would roll out so I'd work for the family during the day close it up about four or five pull out the vehicles and all the junk out of the garage and I'd, uh, I'd start doing one-on-one instruction with kids back there um, after that opened up into another facility I was fortunate enough to move over to Orchard Park where um, the Little League organization over there you know allowed me to lease some space from their facility and we kind of grew from that into another facility about a year and a half later where we had our own exclusive place down the road in Orchard Park. Um, and now we're at Hamburg. We're in, uh, on Lakeview Road in Hamburg now with uh, all brand new facility that we just bought two years ago. We're continuing to expand as we go. We've got a 2,000 square foot weight room in the back. We've got cages, mounds, turf area for hitting. And um, we've got everything from a travel organization all the way from 13 year olds up to the collegiate level. Uh, we consider ourselves a player development organization more so than anything in that we, we try to cover all aspects of the game from not only hitting, pitching, and fielding instruction and, and travel teams, but also the strength and conditioning side of things, speed training, arm care, arm development. Um, so a big part of our time is spent in the weight room, which is why we spend a lot of time and, and money, honestly, in, into that at our new facility here. Um, this is hopefully our forever home. I don't plan to move here. If anything, just grow it. Um, but I don't plan to move out of this area. It's a good spot to be. The facility's good. We got 14 acres of land we bought with it. So we got a lot of room to to go outside and long toss, stretch it out, run in the grass when we need to. So almost almost a decade into full circuit now, and uh, and here we are. So I appreciate you having me on and love what you're doing with this so far. So I'm oh, excited thanks. to be here. I appreciate that. You know, it's it, it's funny. I, uh, me and Charlie sat down and talked about probably about eight months ago now. Yeah. And uh, – I, I had actually never been out to this facility and I walked in and it's, it, it reminds me of, um, if you've ever, if you're ever, if you've ever been a gym goer, if you've ever been a gym guy, it, it reminds me of that type of training facility and not just from the weightlifting aspect, but from the baseball aspect of just that, like a grinder's garage, like that, you know, you, you open the door and it just guys getting after it, working hard and you know, it, it just has that atmosphere to it. And it's one of the things that I actually really, really like about this place is how, just, just the feel of it. It feels like a player's clubhouse where you're coming and you're coming and you know you're punching the clock to go to work. Yeah, I and, appreciate it. That was yeah. that was part of the design of it. Honestly, was we got state of the art weight room, which is great. But one of my little little things that I, I had a little uh, want when I built it, and I said I'm never putting mirrors in the in the weight room, and that was just a silly <laughs> little thing. But you see it like LA Fitness, you go to the public gyms and all that stuff, and I get what they're doing. That's a, that's a whole different gotta, entity. Got to be able to see the pump, bro. Exactly. <laughs> But that's what we try to try to avoid that, and we don't want guys looking at themselves. That you know, it's you're here to get better. You're here to train for your team, and 
and you know develop as much as you can but we try to create that garage type feel you right. know, we, we custom painted the entire weight room all black and gray and so we wanted to you know we want you to be able to see but you also want to see kind of dark dingy garage style fitness and yeah that, that's that, kind of what we do that that dungeon feel getting after it i love it yes yeah, exactly you know I, I don't i don't like walking into a gym that's all bright and shiny and you know mirrors everywhere and people if it's too clean nobody's done and, anything in it, right, right absolutely <laughs> um you know, and actually, that I think that's the first thing I'm, I want to touch on is I think you guys do something a little bit different than most of the, if most if not all of the programs in the area do, with um, your with the strength training side of this. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about the the methodology that you guys use and the ideals that you guys go by? Um, so that's that's definitely my passion around this this side of the business. Um, I mean, I love all aspects of baseball, but I think where we've kind of branched off a little bit, if you will, is in the strength side. Um, I was very blessed to be at UB when some of the best strength coaches in the country were actually at UB training us. Um, Paul Childress, Ryan Groman, Nate Harvey, all those guys were the guys I learned a lot from. Um, and they kind of were the ones, the first ones to put a bug in all of our ears, really, at UB. But, you know, really resonated with me a lot when – They'd always talk about how, you know, baseball is always a traditionalist game, if you will, and a lot of guys want to put a stigma to it where, you know, you shouldn't be weight training, you shouldn't bench press, you shouldn't lift heavy weight, it's, it's too risky for a baseball player, you shouldn't lift like a football player. And, I mean, I've heard every possible excuse, if you will, is what I think it is, is just excuses as to why ball players should not lift. And I think we're in a culture now where it's, it is starting to flip a little. I mean, you still see a lot of that, and there are still a lot of people that are anti-weight training or anti-upper body stuff with pitchers. And, you know, I can get in as, as deep with anybody as, as, uh, as anybody wants ever with that. But my thoughts are you're in a culture right now where you're competing against some of the strongest athletes in the country, not just in Buffalo. So if a kid comes to our organization um, or goes to his high school coach or another travel organization or anything and says – that you need to, you need to get me as as a parent or a kid. They come to a program and say that we want my kid to play Division One baseball, or my kid wants to be a professional, or my kid wants a scholarship. Then our job is to do whatever we can to get them to that level. And rarely nowadays is it a kid that is so gifted and so blessed that he doesn't have to put any additional work in. There are those few blue chippers, obviously, that just genetically they're freaks and they're just you know God gave them everything they needed and they didn't need to put a whole lot in. But for the majority of us, like myself and a lot of us in the game, you got to put in a lot of work to it. And just hitting and pitching instruction and just doing lessons and just doing basic ground ball practice and basic batting practice, that'll get you developed in the technical side of things. But still, whether people like it or not and whether it's agreed to or not by, by the public, most guys are not recruiting kids that weigh a buck 25 and are six foot string beans. And, and saying you know, that they want that guy in the middle of their order or that they want that guy that's throwing 75 miles an hour to pitch on their Division One roster. It's just not it's not there. So to me, you have to hit the weight room and you got to do it right. You know, yes, there's there's truth to everything. I believe in, you know, in most things in society, there's two ends of the spectrum and usually the truth falls somewhere in the middle. And no, I do not think that, you know, 14-year-old kids should be putting 400 pounds on their back and struggling beyond belief. To, to squat the weight up and down and doing the maximum amount of, of weight that they can handle, but they should be lifting weights. Again, on the other side of the spectrum, you can't possibly tell me, and this is where a huge hot button for me is when I get talked to by coaches or parents or kids that really want to work on, on my core. I just got to get my core stronger. And then you ask them what they think their core is, and they, they kind of point to that midsection of their potential six-pack, and they deem that their core, which has zero 
zero truth to that. I mean, that, that's about a, a one eighth fraction of what your core is considered. Um, so to me, to just do that and not introduce true weight training to kids at a young age, you're doing the kids a disservice. Because at some point, they are going to be passed by by those that are doing it. And we want our guys to be those guys. We want the guys that are passing the ones that are making excuses not to be in the weight room. Um, so you know, we can go as far into that as you want. I'd love to love to talk more about the strength side of things, but that's, that's kind of my avenue in it. And I uh, fully support it and f- fully defend it as <laughs> to my death, and I always will. So It's, it's funny because, I mean, I, um, you know, the first time me and you sat down and talked, we – I kind of told you my history, and I, I hit a point where after I stopped playing college football, I, you know, I, aside from on a Smith machine doing isolated one leg work stuff like that, I hadn't put a bar across my back since I stopped playing college football. Um, I never liked bench pressing. Um, you know, I was deadlifts were cool, I guess. You know, I was the, I was that guy, and you know, I, I got ended up getting into more isolated work with uh, the trainer I was working with at the time, especially, you know, the last couple of years who taught me a lot about mind muscle connection and stuff like that and making sure your body's using the muscle it should be using to move the body part you want to move. And when me and you sat down and talked and you kind of introduced me into like what you're doing here and the guys you've learned from and stuff, it kind of reopened my eyes to, you know, opening up, reopening up the Olympic lifts and things like that. And I've, I have to thank you because I've learned a lot since then. And uh, I, you, if you can go back to the episode where I spoke to uh, Austin from the, the athlete factory, I believe it is now and aces baseball. Um, you know, he's, he's one of those core guys. He's one of those functional work guys. He's, you know, and again, two ends of the spectrum. I think doing something is better than doing nothing. I'm more on your side on this where I think, you know, if, I, I truly and honestly believe in was one of the best things I ever read. If two athletes are absolutely technically even, the stronger athlete's going to win. 100%. You know, and that was, you know, I don't remember if I read that, you know, from something that Nate Harvey put out or, you know, somewhere along the way I came across that and it's resonated with me ever since that if two guys are absolutely 100% the same, whoever's stronger is going to win. And that's just, yeah. you know, I, I, I think there's no, no more truer statement in athletics right now. It should be. You'd think it would be common sense, really, but you know, to be strong is good. It is not a bad thing to be strong. Um, but again, like I like I talk a lot with our athletes. There's, it's not easy to do the hard things, and when you start lifting, you have to start at the ground up. You can't, you know, to me, it, it's it helps when you got kids lifting at 13, 14 years old, like we do. I think now again, there's there's multiple opinions on that, and I'll. I'll get into debates occasionally with people who say 13, 14 is too young to be lifting. And I say it's too young to be lifting improperly, yes. But it's not too young to learn proper use of your body, how to hip hinge properly, how to goblet squat properly, how to do push-ups. And we're asking these kids on the field to do extremely dynamic movements like swing a baseball bat, throw a baseball harder. Um, And we're in a culture right now where it's, you know, again, for for better or worse, we're in a velocity-driven home run driven, strikeout driven culture of baseball right now. So if a kid is going to do everything in his power to throw as hard as he physically can, whether it's weighted ball training, long toss programs, um, anything that he wants to do to get his arm stronger, if we're not setting his body up to be able to take that force, then we're again doing them a disservice. So I do think it's vital to start at a young age, even whether it's, I don't care if it's 10, 11, 12, you can, you can do resistance training with young kids when it's done properly with very, very little weight and very little resistance. Um, even to the point of body weight, I got a five-year-old boy who, who does workouts every day with me. He loves it, but I don't have him picking up bars or anything, but I do have him doing movements. 
because I want him to be aware of his body and how things move and how what you do need to do to bend over and pick something up or reach to grab something. Um, and that's where the functional side, if you will, I guess, comes in. But you have to have a foundation of strength to begin with if you ever want to do dynamic movements at a really elite level. Because, again, strong is strong. And with, like you said, if, <clears throat> if everything else is equal, the stronger guy is always going to win that match in any sport, in any realm of this world. If everything else is technically sound, the strong guy is going to be better. So I'd rather have the strong guy than the, than the one who is you know, making excuses, saying that ball players shouldn't lift, and that's why I'm a little weaker than the next guy. Right. You know, it's, I, I come from a world where, you know, my, my worst days of batting practice were always the day after football ended because I was so tight and boxed out. But, uh, you know, again, read into a lot of what you guys got going on here and the methodology and whatnot. And I, my stamp of approval is on it. I don't know how far that goes with anybody, but, uh, you know, if I, if any of my athletes that I coach were to ask me that this is essentially what I would tell them as well, um, because I can tell you back when I was doing all that stuff, there was nobody teaching how to bench press the right way. It was throw plates on and press. Right. You know, it was throw plates on, put it on your shoulders, squat down and stand up. And it, that, that philosophy is what cost me two discs in my back. But, you know, yeah. it's, and that's, that's why I, th- I, th- I think a lot of that stuff is why that type of lifting gets such a bad reputation. Right. Because, you know, and we, we, we talked about the, you know, the social media coaches and stuff like that. Like there's, there's a lot of bad info out there. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who portray that they know that maybe don't know as much as they think or would like to know. Right. And I think it gets a bad rap because of stuff like that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, again, like anything, you got to do it within moderation and you got to do it the right way. You got to do it safely. I mean, we have an extremely low rate of injury here, but extremely low for a, an organization, for teams that from 13 all the way up to our collegiate and pro guys, that we do lift an awful lot of weight and we do got some guys that move some serious weight that people might balk at a little bit and say like, wow, it's too, too much. It's too risky. We don't let guys go beyond what their body can capably do. We want them to be able to do it safely. And when you're, you know, anything that somebody kind of spits back at us or at me and says like, oh, I don't like bench press, for instance, you bring up bench press. I love that. People say, no, pitchers should not bench press. And you'll hear a lot of arguments. You'll see articles written on it, right? I agree that, Pitchers should not barbell bench press extremely heavy to their chest. But to just say that a pitcher should not bench press, to me, is ignorant. That's just asinine. There's so many variations of it. You can do landmine press, camber bar bench. We have every one of our power racks in our weight room is outfitted with the same set of specialty bars from Elite FTS. And one of them is the camber bar. The camber bar, for anybody that's not familiar with it, has inlet inlet handles spaced across the bar so that you will always be in a neutral grip. You will never be in a grip like a standard barbell like we all think of the bench press as. So it puts our shoulders in a much safer position when you're performing a bench press. It always has a built-in board press with it. So when you flip the bar, you can only go to your chest far enough to hit parallel with the bench. You can't let your elbows drop below parallel, which is the debate where people will say that benching is risky for pitchers, which I do agree with. But again, if you bench improperly, yes, it's risky. If you bench properly, it's fantastic for your body to do that. And again, pitchers want to be strong. You look at a lot of pitchers in the big leagues right now, you don't see a whole lot of skinny string beans or dumpy bodies. Yes, you can always, you know, people always go back to Bartolo Colon. Or, or Bartolo's instances. my man. Bartolo's my spirit animal, if yeah. anybody cares. I mean, everybody loves him, and you can't not love the guy. But I'm not going to roll the dice on my athletes being the next Bartolo Colon and being able to get away with that. I'd right. rather the guys be built more like the Verlanders of the world and the Scherzers of the world. I mean, those and, guys and not for nothing, if you, if you look at pictures of Bartolo back in the day, Bartolo didn't look anything like right, Bartolo right, right. looks now. Yeah, and that's... 
so like I said, any, anything that anybody ever kind of contradicts with what we do on or, and I, I get everybody's got their opinion and that's why I don't get into too many heated discussions with people because, you know, to me, you're either, you're either in this side of it or you're not and it's okay. And you know, if people aren't, that's fine. We'll, we'll play against them anytime. I'll yeah. take, I'll take my guys any day um, in the weight room with what we do. And, and like I said, I always attribute back to the rate of injury. If we had guys getting hurt often, I would seriously have to reconsider what we're doing. But we don't. We have guys staying healthy. We have guys' arms staying stronger, longer. And if you go across our program wide, guys that whether they play for us or just train for us. I mean, we have athletes here that just they just train for us. They play for other teams. They play for other high schools or organizations, but they train here. And if you look across the board at the kids that spend the most hours in this weight room, in this facility with us, they have the lowest rate of injury, the highest performance, the longest sustained success. It's the kids that typically not not that they're bad kids but it's a lot of times kids that just can't make it in that often they can lift once a week or they only they can't lift much here at all so they just try to do stuff on their own and those are the kids that you will see get injuries or or we hear stories of other kids that have gotten hurt in the weight room elsewhere or in their public gym setting because they don't have somebody that's on top of them actually teaching them the movement and like uh like uh jaws and i talked recently about this is a lot of it is ego driven when a kid comes into the weight room it's no different than an adult coming into the weight room if you're you know a skinny buck 45 grown man that can only bench 95 to 100 pounds on a barbell and you go into the weight room with somebody like Derek who can throw around probably what 8,000 pounds or so I don't know about um, that but <laughs> then you 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 quickly get very embarrassed or discouraged or whatever you, you call it kids are no different if not they're worse as teenagers because they're so worried about what everybody else thinks what their team thinks their players think of them their coaches think of them so they immediately will make excuses as to why they don't want to do those lifts and parents will do the same thing for their kids so we try to build a culture here at least where kids are comfortable with benching nothing but the bar they're comfortable with putting a pvc pipe on their back and learning the squat for two or three weeks before we actually put a bar on their back and learning the technique properly because again yes it's flashy it's sexier to see a kid squatting 400 pounds it's it's sexier to see a guy benching 300 as a high school guy and, and we have that don't get me wrong we have it you'll see it um, but they didn't get there overnight either. Those are the kids that I'm talking about that are in here four or five days a week from the time that they're 13, 14. Right. And then they reap the benefits at 16, 17, 18. They're the ones that are, you know, they're built like machines. But that, again, like everything else in life, none of that comes easy. So when kids or coaches want to implement a strength program and they do it for three to six weeks and they think they're going to see drastic gains, well, they, they're usually the kids or coaches or parents that are the ones that are really jumping along that line way too fast and they do maybe one day of technical training and teaching, and then they jump right into heavy weight, and they're pushing you know close to their one rep max, which you shouldn't even be close to that as a as a you know a intermediate or a beginner lifter. You shouldn't even be close to that. You shouldn't have a clue what that number is right now. You should right. be worried more about safety, prepping your body, and and we spend a lot of time doing that before you get to do the fun, flashy stuff where. You know, the, the cool stuff you see on Instagram when we got a kid that's, you know, buck 65 outfielder that he, he squats over 400. But right. he does it safely. He does it well. If you look at his form, it's impeccable. I'd, yeah. go to, I'd go to bat for that kid any day because he's earned it. You know, and, it, and it's funny because I think I I found out, you know, this year I, you know, I took my get, my guys in the weight room a couple times for the high school team. And, you know, we were doing some, just to keep it easy, some dumbbell press, some light, what I felt was light dumbbell press. Yeah. I had guys struggling with 15s and 20s, and yep. that's not a knock on them, you know. But at any at, at all, you know. But then I'm sitting there trying to get other guys to pay attention, like, hey, help him out, spot him, you know, support his arms, support his elbows, don't let him get into a bad spot. And you know, when you're trying to keep an eye on 
18, 19 kids at a time, it's, it, oh, it's it can, it can be, it can be tough, but, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, that if, if nothing else, it opened up some of my guys eyes like, Oh, like I, th- I thought I was okay. And, you know, here's a kid who is, you know, he, he is that buck 25 scrappy little senior who's, you know, pushing 20, 25 pound dumbbells with relative ease and getting the work done. And here I am twice that guy's size struggling with 15s. Yeah. Maybe I need to do more. Yeah. So it, like with, in that, in that sense, that was a really nice eye opener for some of my guys, I think, which was really cool to see. But, um, yeah, I, I, I can tell you right now that, um, I actually just got completely cleared as of yesterday from all of my issues from last summer. And I need to get my butt back in the weight room. And I am, you know, running into that ego issue of the first time I go back, it ain't going to be pretty because I haven't been able to do anything for the better part of a year now. And you know, it's it, I'm not looking forward to it, but it's going to, going to have to happen. And that's why you surround yourself like, and it's a good lesson for kids. That's why you surround yourself with supportive people that are going to be positive around you. I don't care if you're 14 or 44, if you're going to be in the training world and if you're going to be in the weight room, if you're surrounding yourself with ball busters all the time of everybody that's just going to make fun of your weight and make fun of where you're at, that's, that's not the right people to be around. And like I said, we, we are, we are very blessed here to have a great group of kids and parents and support. Our coaching staff is fantastic of guys that we have here working. Uh, my manager here, Hank Morrison is a former pro, um, with the Minnesota twins. He spends a, a ton of time in the weight room with our guys. He's also a certified trainer. He's a, a heavy lifter himself. He loves lifting. He's a gym rat through and through always has been. Um, so to surround yourself with guys like that, where like, to me, it's very fun to work with a 13, 14 year old Hank. I know attests to this. It's fun to work with a 13, 14 year old and give him a 10 pound dumbbell in front of him and teach him how to box squat to a parallel box and watch them progress. Cause on day one, what we will do this, we line up our 13 year olds, right? And these are all kids. They're babies still, right? They're little fawns and you line them up across the board and you say, all right, just sit to that box and stand up. And it's embarrassing how bad it looks, how they just don't naturally know how to hinge their hips yet. And again, this goes back to if, if when they were five years old, like my little guy, if we were teaching them to do that stuff, they wouldn't have these problems because, but we're in a society right now for better or worse, that kids sit a lot. They're very sedentary. They're on phones. They're on social media all the time. They're on laptops all the time. Even in school, they're sitting a lot. So they don't necessarily know how to move like our grandfathers did who were constantly working. They were outside. Right. They didn't have the option to sit still for so long. So we do spend a lot of time, and I enjoy that, but you got to be, to come back to who you surround yourself with, you got to come back to guys that are willing to work with those 13, 14-year-old kids, or if it's an 18-year-old with the training age of a 13-year-old, which you see more often than you'd think, you see 17 and 18-year-olds that have the training age of a 13 or 14-year-old, meaning, yeah. yeah, they might have gone through puberty, they might have, you know, a little facial hair now, but they still don't know how to move because they've never been in a weight room or never been taught properly, so... You got to put yourself around people who aren't going to look to embarrass you, but they're going to look to bring you up. And that's what we want as teammates in here too. And, you know, if maybe to a fault, sometimes we don't always look to bring in the absolute best baseball player into our organization. We look to bring good people in that happen to be good ball players and that happen to want to be good leaders. And again, you, you obviously in a tryout setting, you try to find guys like that. It's not always possible, right? You, you hit, you hit on some, you miss on others and, and it happens, but we've been very fortunate over the years have a lot of really good people come in here and help our younger guys whether it's coaches or older players or our pro guys are around there our pro guys are fantastic in the winter they come here and when they're in the weight room with some of our younger guys they'll be the first to spot the kid or teach them something or you know even something to you'll see a kid pitching and they'll go over and work on grips with them on the mound quick but in the weight room they'll see him struggling with something and they'll try to fix his technique a little bit um, and that means a lot to the kids you know it's a positive environment and they know that nobody's looking down on them 
because they're only lifting 10 or 20 pounds, but right. rather somebody's seeing the potential in that kid to say, like, keep at it, man. You're, you're going to be fine. And someday, four or five years from now, you're going to be that one, you know, pushing three, 400 pounds at some point if you want it. Because it, for most kids, it's in there. It's just got to be drawn out. And like anything else, that's a that's a very broad statement for, for me to say. But it's, uh, it's true, I think, in society is that people want instant gratification now more than ever. And they're Microwave not willing generation. to put in. Yes, they're not willing to put in long-term work to get that success. And a lot of kids, unfortunately, they quit. They, they give up on it too soon and it doesn't make them bad kids or bad people. But I think there's not enough positive reinforcement around the, whether it's the strength community or the baseball community or whatever you want to, whatever you want to tag it, but they need more positive support than they're getting right now mm -hmm. because it is very easy in a game of failure like baseball. It's very easy to quit and just go somewhere else. And when you add weightlifting into it, it is very easy to quit that too because if you're benching 100 pounds on week one, you're probably not going to be benching 300 pounds on week six or eight or 308. I mean, it takes <laughs> years to develop that. And you know that in the, in the, weight, in the weight community. I mean, it's, that's long-term. That's a lifetime investment. That's a lifetime. It's a lifestyle change if you want to seriously make that. And it's hard to do. And it's very hard to get a 15, 16-year-old kid to buy into that. And buy-in is everything. I, I mean, I can tell you from the realm of, you know, when uh, I was involved in a small, small gym that a very good friend of mine owned and stuff like that. It's tough to get a 20 something, 30 something year old to buy in. You know, it's, it's tough to get anybody to buy in it, you know, it's especially in, in the smallest realm of, you know, disagreement on philosophy or technique. Right. You know, cause I, I can tell you that I, you know, the guy that I trained with for three years, there were four other trainers at our gym that did not agree with what he said and did. And they were, you know, move it hard, move it fast, and to hell with what it looks like. If you can move it, you lifted it, and you win. And he was more of a guy that like, no, it, it's going to be really, really cool when we do this. And there's actually a really good example of this. He, uh, you know, he always grilled me with, at one point, I hadn't touched anything heavier than a 60-pound dumbbell. Right. And two of the two or three of the other trainers were having some of their bigger lifters rep a, a one-handed dumbbell row with with a hundred pounds, no straps, just for te for a set of ten. And he looked at me and said, "I bet you can do one twenty for 20. And I went, "What?" He goes, "Go ahead, let's do it. Nice, slow, smooth, and controlled. Just repped it out." No straps, just nice and easy all the way back, everything else. And he goes, all right, now I got to do the other hand because you got to make it even. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but like, you know, the, every, everybody, you know, rolling the shoulder and just moving the weight and moving the right. weight. And he's like, that's great. You, you know, you're using momentum. You're using, you know, science on your side. You're not actually lifting that. Yeah. And, you know, you're not getting any benefit from it. And, you know, that right there in that instance, in that world where, they're all there to help everybody and yeah. fitness is, you know, helping healthy lifestyles across the board and they're infighting with each other. I can only imagine what it's like to get, you know, that that one kid or that one father who who knows more or who, you know, think they know better or something. And I, I can tell you one of the biggest benefits I've gotten from doing this this podcast is the ability to talk to people like this yeah. and expand my own brain. I I tell you, everybody who listens to this look into more than what you know because i like the the this is the second time now we've sat down and had you know an at length conversation about stuff i learn stuff every time i talk to you um you know and i think there's a wealth of knowledge out there that's can like just opening our minds to things can yep. like, just make everything better 
And I, my thought got a little jumbled there. No, I apologize. You, know, you so. can say that with anything in life. I truly believe that. And I think a lot of people say that, but I don't think a lot of people truly believe it. I really don't. I think people say, like, oh, I'm always willing to learn. I'm always willing to you know, pick the brains of other people. And then you kind of do some research and you find out that they're doing the same stuff that they were doing 10, 15, 20 years ago. They haven't changed. You know, it's the same ones teaching the exact same swing stance, the same pitching mechanics to 20 kids that walk through the door. That's not learning. If, if you're saying that and you're saying I'm constantly willing to learn and I want to get better and I want to be a better person and grow my mind, but then you're still finding yourself year after year after year doing the same thing and not changing it, then you're stagnant. You're stalled out. And I mean, I, I like to think that I am one that is constantly trying to grow. I will tell you that very often I am not the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> I've been in plenty of rooms where I'm on the bottom end of the intellectual spectrum. Um, but that's how I learned too. I mean, I've surrounded myself with not only some great coaches on my staff here and, and physical therapists. Fran Herman is a guy who's been with me. He's a PT at UB Ortho and he's been with me for, shoot, probably five years now. Um, and I've picked his brain so many times. He's actually been texting me right now because I know he's going he's gonna to swing in later for, for a talk and catch up with me. But I mean, he's a physical therapist who's been in the game for 30 years and has always kind of specialized a little in baseball. That's his passion. That's where his family's been. That's where he played was baseball. So he's got a little passion for it. And the knowledge that he's able to bring from the physical therapy world is priceless for our guys. I mean, I can get them so far, but I cannot give them what they need when it comes to injury or injury prevention. Even I I go to him for a lot of that. He's a, a great resource for it. And you have to be willing to, you know, I talked to, I've talked to, some strange resources before other sport coaches. I love other sport coaches. Yeah. Baseball, like, like anything, if you're only talking to people of similar mindset of you, you're really not growing your mind at all. You talk to some, talk to some weirdos. I hope I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I hope I am a strange person to a lot of people that has some outside the box ideas. I, I think, I think minds. in the base, I think in the athletic world, you're not in the strictly baseball world. I think you're, I think you may be a little off color to some people. Yeah. Just because it's that realm of not understanding what what goes on in this building. Yeah, and that's why I'm I'm an open door here. I love it. I mean, I want other people to come in. I want people to see what we're doing. Players, coaches, parents. I don't care. I, I want to share with people. I want to learn from people. And that's you know, again, I'm not the one inventing most of the stuff we do here. I'm finding it from better people. Um, I've been very fortunate to learn from some really good doctors along the way, some psychologists, even sports science guys. Um, that's a, a whole other realm of baseball that hasn't nearly been tapped yet, and it's you're starting to see it sports science and uh, getting the scientific side involved a little more, but still there is such a little understanding of it um, in the, in the grand scheme of things. It, it's more like, I don't know what you want to call it, but it's more like the Instagram style stuff, the Twitter style. You see right. something happen on Instagram with a coach or a sports science. When, I mean, the, I cringe when I even hear the word launch angle right now. It <laughs> kills me. Um, and I, I, we can get into that or we can get over, or we can get past that real quick. But I just, to me, the, the, the lack of understanding of what actually goes on with the body and how the body actually moves, the lack of understanding is what is very frustrating is, and it's not always because people are, are bad people or that they mean harm by any means. A lot of times I think you see flashy things on Instagram or on Facebook or Twitter and you think immediately like, boom, let's do that with our guys. It, it works with them. It's got to work with us. And though sometimes it can, that's great, but you got to take into consideration too where they're coming from. You know, when you see Josh Donaldson on MLB Network telling kids, don't listen to your coach when he tells you to hit ground balls back up the middle. Okay, that's Josh Donaldson. He has spent the better part of a decade or more developing that style of swing with a leg kick, with timing, with, you know, trying to elevate more balls as an undersized guy. And that works very well for him. And yes, he is a very gifted athlete. 
with very gifted hand-eye coordination, with a very gifted feel for his body. But to teach that same ideal to a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 10-year-old that still struggles to barrel up baseballs, that to me is asinine. That we're working, we're working the wrong side of Aye. the coin there. <laughs> when, and, and I've seen it. I, I believe it or not, I had a father call me one time, and he's talking to me about his son and wanting to set up hitting lessons with him. It seems like a good guy. And, and from the way he was talking about the son, I thought this was like a you know an older high school, maybe a collegiate player, a hitter, because of the way he was speaking. And he said, well. You know, really, he, he really needs to elevate more baseballs. He needs to increase his home runs this year um, to really get where he needs to go. And he, he went on to then tell me that his son led his team in hitting. He goes, he was a leading hitter. He's a leadoff guy. So, you know, he hit a ball a lot, got good on base percentage and all that, and had the best batting average on the team. But he needs he needs more power. And I said, okay. So I started taking his information down. And I said, oh, and uh, how old is your son? And he goes, well, he's 11. And I, I tried not to laugh, puke, <laughs> throw my phone through the window, everything, all of the above. When he said that, because it was just, it blew my mind. I said, he's 11, and you just told me that he led his team in hitting and on base percentage. But you want more out of that? You want more home runs at 11 years old? Like, let your kid be a kid for a little bit. Let him enjoy the success of being a good hitter and, and be positive about that, as opposed <laughs> to telling him to, he needs to elevate more baseballs at 11. I mean, yes, there might be a time in someone's career where they're a fringe guy, whether it's in college or pro baseball, where they need to increase their power numbers a little bit. And you want to manipulate your swing a little fine when you have an understanding of how your body moves and how the pitches work and what is actually happening with your barrel. When you see, and again, this will probably piss a lot of people off, but whatever. When you see, <laughs> hey, that's, that's why we're here. <laughs> when you see kids doing PVC pipe swing drills for you know field drills and launch angle improvements, I, I'm not saying they're wrong and they're not bad drills always, but nine out of 10 times, at least from what I've seen, they are very misunderstood and very misguided drills. You know, when you're doing them with young kids that don't really understand why they're doing it and what they're doing, your bat head should not always be dropping, you know, towards the ground on every single swing you take, (laughs) you know, on a ball that's a belly high fastball, you should not be dipping your back shoulder and collapsing your backside through the ball. And I think that's something, again, it's, uh, like I said, it's social media coaches, and it's to come back to what's flashy and what's sexy online is, is not always what's best for kids. And you also get to the point where you start just confusing kids with a lot of it too. Like yeah. at some point, let the kid be a kid. And I, I talked to uh, um, Jericho Whites, who runs the Northeast Twins guys down in the Southern tier, and he's a hell of a baseball guy. He's a hell of a coach. Um, and we, we go back a, a few years now. And I was talking to him one day, and we were both kind of laughing about this topic right here, the launch angle debate, and kids need to hit more fly balls out of the park. And I said, these are usually kids that if you lined up and just flipped them, either underhand flips or easy BP from 30 feet away, I would tell them, square up 8 to 10 balls off the L screen right now. Show me that you have that kind of barrel control and that kind of feel for your body when you can square up 8 to 10 balls off the L screen, then we can work on more. We can get deeper into it. We can try to teach you how to elevate a little more and increase your power numbers. But if you're taking BP and out of 10 balls that are in the same spot in the strike zone, mind you, at the same hitting speed, and you're rolling over two of them, you're collapsing on three of them, you're squaring up two or three of them, you're just missing a couple, you're not ready for the next level. You need to learn how to feel your barrel first. You need to learn how your barrel works and understand contact points and and manipulation of your body before you can get into anything else that is way more dynamic than just barreling up baseballs. I've seen more than my share of guys that have come in with that next level swing, as I use the air quotes, that you know are fringe not making the high school team because 
when you go O for a batting practice round and tryouts, like you're you're lucky you're a good outfielder because we need one of those. Like right. I otherwise I don't know yeah. what like that that's tough, man. And I've I've seen a lot of kids that you know have a lot of success at a young age that try to take that next level step, quote unquote, that yeah. end up struggling because of it. And that's it, exactly like you said, you're not ready. And you know the the, the story of the 11 year old that wants to work on or the father who wants his 11 year old working on power numbers and launch angles yeah. and stuff like that. Like, you know, it, it's it, like, Hey man, can you teach me? You know, can, how, how do you, how do I know what, you know, what hand my, my toddler throws with well, here, throw that. <laughs> well, he's a righty yeah. man. I, I was really hoping he was going to be a lefty reliever in the show. Like yeah. what, like what, what, what kind of expectations are you putting on your kid here? Yeah. Like, you know, cool. So he, he's got power numbers at, you know, at 11, 12 years old, when he goes to 13 and j- makes that jump to the bigger field, those yeah. are those are fly balls now. Those oh, are fly outs. That, like, that 13-year-old year is, is brutal for a lot of kids, and that's where you need to have a lot. Again, you got to be positive with kids. You got to teach them that it's a long it's a long process. It's a, it's a long haul if you're going to stay in this game for a while. And at 13, that's the nail on the head right there. At 13, those balls that you were launching at Cooperstown over the wall are now shallow fly outs to the center fielder. Right. And it's very easy to get discouraged on that. So we, we try to preach hard contact, have good at-bats. And, yes, when you're older, I get it. There is a time and a place for it. And like I said before, earlier, and I truly believe, there's both ends of the spectrum, and somewhere in the middle is usually the truth. And you can usually find that, to me, in anything, in, in politics, in sports, <laughs> in weight training, in anything. There's, there's all ends of the spectrum, and usually somewhere in the middle is the best stuff. And that's where you got to try to find, instead of polarizing all the time, find those you know, those outliers, the, the ones at the other sides of the spectrum that are probably borderline psychos one, one way or the other, <laughs> and, uh, and try to meet in the middle with the guys that, that know what they're doing and, yeah. and are seeing results. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, think, I think you find that a lot in a lot of walks of life. And I've, you know, I, it's funny that you use that saying because I, you know, I always tell, you know, two sides of every story and somewhere in the middle is the truth. And that's, right. you know, I, one, one of the best bits of coaching advice I ever got as a player was, you know, your job as a player is to take in as much info as you can and use what works for you yep. to get better. And I think that's one of the things that as coaches gets lost, you know, just there, there are, there are certain things that I can do as a coach that, I mean, even guys in our system, you know, I, I bring up Austin, you know, there's, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a hard ass than Austin is, you know, and that's, that's just our style. Yep. And that Austin can't be that hard ass cause he's not, I, and I can't be that, laid back jolly guy 24 seven. Cause that's just not me. Yeah. And you know, there's nothing wrong with either of those. And there's a time and a place for both. And I think, you know, they're like over time I've backed off quite a bit. You know, I, I have, I could tell you stories from my first year coaching that people looked at me and said, you're a football coach on a baseball field. You need to stop. <laughs> and you know, cause I was, I was that, you know, 19 year old hot headed kid just out of college football. And I wanted to just rage and yell and throw stuff. And, I'm not that cowboy anymore, but I'm still a little bit more hard nosed than some people. And, you know, I I think, you know, I've learned a lot from like from working with and talking to a lot of other coaches to to fit that style. And I think as a player that you got to do that, too. And, you know, how do how do you do that? Well, you open your mind and you talk to people. Right. Open communication is communication is a word I think I've used more this summer than I ever used in the past. And it went from from coaches to players to parents, players within players. I think communication is just very very lacking in our culture right now, not mm-hmm. just baseball, not just sports, but just in general. And again, you can always blame it back to the cell phones and social media and all that. <laughs> and, um, but it is a, a time where communication is tough and you want to be able to get through to kids. And like we said earlier, buy-in to me is everything. And I don't care if it's 
a new job you're going to or school or a baseball team, you have to buy into what your coach is saying. And if you don't, then you're probably in the wrong spot. Right. Um, and again, it, like, obviously I think we do a good job here. We're not the only baseball program in Western New York or New York state for that matter. There's a <laughs> lot of good options out there for kids to go see. And there's a lot of good coaches out there. You got to find a coach that communicates well with you and gets through to you. And I'm not saying I'm the best at that. Cause I, there's probably kids you know, even within our roof right now. I'm sure I hope there's not a lot, but I'm sure there's kids in our organization that I just don't vibe with as well as they'd like. And I don't, I don't get through to them as well as I can. And that's why we bring other coaches in too. It's like, Another, sometimes another voice is necessary. It's not, Absolutely. I don't rule with an iron fist. I don't think anybody should. I don't, you know, I'm also the first when it comes to hitting lessons or pitching lessons. You know, we do what works best for that kid. And to me, that's how it should be. I, you know, again, right or wrong, maybe some people in the instruction world disagree with that or, you know, people that do hitting or pitching lessons, they do teach one kind of by the book thing. And, and maybe that works fine for them. But what I've learned is if, if you're going toe to toe with a teenage kid on hitting instruction or pitching lessons for that matter, and you're telling him something. And then when he asks you and your answer is because I said so, that doesn't work. And it might've worked 30, 40 years ago in our, in our grandfather's generation. And I love that generation. That's the last of a dying breed, unfortunately, but we're in a world now where because I said, so doesn't fly with most 16 year old kids. You have to give them some kind of proof and do it respectfully, just like they should be questioning you respectfully. Right. And some of the some of the most fun kids that I've coached here over the years are the ones who have actually kind of butted heads with me a little bit that we do go at it a little. And I don't mean we're, we're rumbling on the turf by any means, <laughs> but we do we go back and forth a little because they want to learn. And there are some kids that have come through that come immediately to mind that when you tell them something, it's not just, OK, I'll do it. You got to have it's a two way street. If they're yeah. communicating with you and saying, you know, a coach, I believe this, but for me, it's just not working right now. It, it, it doesn't feel right. It feels uncomfortable. There are times where I will tell them, like, you know, just give it a week or two. Let's try it and see if it, if you can adapt to it. And if not, we'll try something else. Or there's other instances where a kid will say, like, coach, I don't know, I just I'm not feeling that. I say, all right, great, we'll move on. Something else. Try something else. Yeah. There's more than one way to do it. And I I don't teach kids to swing the way that I swung. Because I was, I was a good hitter, but I was not the greatest hitter by any means. Hence the reason I'm teaching it now right. and not doing it anymore. <laughs> um, if I was that great at it myself, I'd still be hitting at some point, um, and I'm not. So, And that's one thing that I, I was fortunate to have a, a very good hitting coach in college, um, Jim Kerner, who's the head coach down at NC Central now. And that's something that over time with him, over four or five years of working with him at UB, that he and I built a great rapport with. And our first year together, we did butt heads on a lot of things. Um, and then he became you know, one of my closest mentors in the game. His son was my ring bearer in my wedding. Um, I have uh, utmost respect for him and what he does you know, on the baseball field and with his guys. And to me, one of the things that he's always been fantastic at now is the ability to adapt to his players. And you mm -hmm. can work with all different walks of life and different style hitters and, and not you know, make everybody fit into one peg. You know, there, there's, there's more than one way to do it. And if you're a coach that says there's only one way to do it, then you probably aren't a very good coach. Right. You probably should get out of it. Yeah. Um, but like I said, it's a two-way street. You know, you can't have you know punk kids also just calling their coaches out and not believing anything they say. And and you hear that a lot too. Where you know the, the, I'm not writing off the kids completely. You know, with no blame, they do have some blame to take. Um, but again, it comes back to communication. And I think yep. if if players and coaches learn to communicate better, if parents learn to communicate better with their player, with their their sons and daughters and their coaches, I think we'd all be better off for it. Um, I don't know all the answers to it yet. I don't know exactly how to get them all better communicators, but I'm, uh, I'm on a path to try to figure that out this right. year. Um, I've actually, I, I've looked at doing some different things in the off season with our teams this year to try to help that. Um, cause I gotta get better at it too. It's something that this summer, we had a good summer with all, a lot of our teams, but not nearly to what I expected out of our guys. 
Um, I thought we would have done a lot better, mm-hmm. and uh, I was disappointed with some of it. And I, I got at the end of the day, I got to put that on my shoulders. That's nobody else's fault. It's mine. So um, if if the product and the team wasn't what I wanted it to be, then I got to change something. And there's certain things that I do want to change to to be myself a better communicator with parents and kids and, and coaches and whatnot to to make it better. And I think if we did that. You know, culturally, in the in the baseball and the strength community, I think we'd all be better for it. But that's a it's a two way street everywhere, and we all got to be willing to open up a little. Absolutely. You know, it, it's funny you brought that up. I uh, there was a point when I was coaching years ago before I started the high school gig. I, you know, a good friend of mine and I were sitting around having a couple pops one night and just talking about it. And I looked, I, I looked right at him and said, "I could never coach with you." He was like, "Well, what do you mean?" I go, "I, I could never coach with you because the phrase." because I said so is not good enough for me. Like if our kids asked why we're doing something, what we're doing this for, what we're trying to work on. And the answer is we're doing the drill. Cause I said, so I'm not good with that. And if that's going to be the answer, I could never coach with you because I could never step on your toes. Like if you were the head guy or I was the head guy, like I, as the head guy, I'm not okay with us doing a drill that we can't tell them why we're doing it or what we're working on. And as your assistant, I couldn't step on your toes and say, well, this is what we're doing. But, you know, in, in that realm, because I said so is not the answer. So I like, and I like, love you, man. Couldn't do it. Like, that's yeah. just not, and that's just a differing style. And, you know, never, said, uh, never came to fruition where that was, you know, something we had to deal with. But, and it probably did work years ago more than it did now. But, oh, without you know, question. You know, our, again, like I always go back to my grandfather was one of the biggest role models in my life. And, and that generation was a very gritty, hard nosed, you know, just blue collar, hard shut up and do it. Right. And they would do it. And now unfortunately we don't, occasionally we do get a couple of those kids that come through that just kind of surprise you. And you know that, and you know, in my opinion, they were raised right. And they, you know, (laughs) they they were raised with a great deal of respect, but, um, but you want a a little of each too. You know, I want a kid that wants the question. I don't necessarily want a kid that just says, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And doesn't understand why we're doing things. I think if you understand how your body's working and what you're doing to create success, I think you're going to get more success because of it. If you're just wholeheartedly just saying, okay, well, coach said to do it and following it and you don't really get it, then you're probably not going to see the most value out of it yet. And, right. you know, I've been fortunate. There's a couple of couple of players that, that come to mind that, that were very bright kids that I've coached, like, you know, smarter than me intellectually and, and the <laughs> books and the SATs are twice as bright as I am. Um, you and me we, both. Man. We have some of the best conversations because they, they're very – cerebral about the game and they want to know more they you know they're not just gonna if you tell them hey move your hands here when you're in your load position they want to know why do you want me to do that and that's fine and to me if you can't answer that as a coach it doesn't make you a bad coach but don't say it then don't right. say something don't, don't give that, somebody a fix that you don't know what right, the fix is exactly. for exactly if you don't know why you're saying it then don't just talk just to talk right and that's where i think we get into you know issues at times with, with kids and you know it's something that between a lot of times the lack, again, come back to communication when it comes to like high school coaches, travel coaches, and back to travel coaches and high school coaches of who says what. I think there's a huge dissension a lot of times that doesn't need to be there. But when you're dealing with, no offense to the teenagers, the third party is a dopey teenage athlete who's thinking about girls, girls, girls 90% of the time <laughs> and then baseball weight room 10% of the time. That's not the, the kid that you want relaying messages back and forth in the development world, right? Absolutely. So when it's a high school coach, and I hear it all the time, like a, a kid will say, well, my high school coach told me to do this. And I'll look kind of cockeyed at him and say, like, I don't think he probably meant that. 
and I'll say, you know, go back and talk to him about this. Or, you know, nine out of ten times I know the high school coaches now, so I have a good enough rapport that I can just say, like, hey, is this something that you really wanted him to be working on? And nine out of ten times they'll say, hell no. That's not at all what I meant. He was confused on it. Let's talk this through ourselves. And we usually come to an agreement on it, whether we agree 100% on philosophy, that nobody's ever going to believe that. But at least we come to an understanding where I'm not going to then step on his toes and say, well, you listen to me. I know better. I'm your travel coach. I'm going to do this instead. And you, you know, ignore what your high school coach says, because that's not the community we want to build in, no. in baseball right now. And, you know, again, when you take the middleman out, like the teenage dope, take him out of the mix. And you got two guys that probably are looking out for the kid's best interest. And then you can see some gains and you can start to see some improvement. But again, it comes back to communication and it comes back to coaches being willing to, to talk and, and and only teach what they are able to and comfortable teaching. You can't teach things that you do. I mean, the, the old cliche, you, you only know what you know, right? Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. And that's where you got to reach out to brighter guys like, like I've done for the last decade. I, I do reach out a lot to brighter guys than me. I probably annoy the hell out of some resources <laughs> that I have because I just ask them questions over and over. And I don't, I don't really care. Again, I, I know I'm weird and I don't really give a shit if somebody thinks I'm annoying or if I'm weird or if I'm pestering them or I'm not embarrassed to say certain things that I just don't know. I, I'm just not. If I, if I call a guy and say, like, hey, I have no idea what I'm talking about when, when I have to hit this part of pitching instruction or in the weight room with this specific movement, I'm not comfortable teaching this. Right. How can I get more comfortable teaching it? What, what could I do instead? Or, or, you know, teach me, coach me on it. Um, and again, I, I've been really fortunate to be around some of the brightest minds in the country uh, to learn from. And so. I'll, I'll tell you, having guys you can talk to is a huge thing. I had a kid I was working with as a pitcher this past year, and I have never seen a kid who pronates so hard when he pitches. I mean, we're talking his hands coming over the top, and he's already doing this, like back here. Yeah. And I was I was struggling to to teach him control because of it. Right. And during the span I was working with him, I was fortunate enough to be going to a coaching conference, and I went to I, I go to all the pitching stuff when I'm there because that's my role at the high school. Right. And you know, if there's nothing I want to see or nothing that I think I'd get benefit from, I do go to other things when I can because I like knowing as much as I can know. Um, but I ended up tracking down the one coach that I, you know, saw him talk, and I asked him. I asked him a question about it. I even showed him a video, and he was like, "Well, good luck with that." And he walked away from me, and I was like, <laughs> "Well, I, you know, I appreciate it. I think, but that, you know, it'd be nice to get a little bit better answer than that, I guess. But you know, and I'm not going to throw the school name out there or anything. It was it was a big program. He he probably was more than tired. He probably just flew in that day, had a long day of, you know, talks and whatnot, but. Right. You know, it'd be be nice to be able. You know, these guys like, oh, you know, my door's open. You know, shoot me an email. Give me, you know, shoot yeah. me a text, whatever. Like, I'd be be happy to call you. Like, well, I'm I'm getting home on Sunday, and I'm gonna see this kid Monday night. And, yeah. You know, a little help here. Like, nah, good luck. Yeah. But, but right, at then. least to your defense, at least you asked. Right. Nine out of ten people won't ask. They're they're, they're too uncomfortable or embarrassed or they don't want to say. And it's a lesson the kids need to learn too. Like, speak up. Yeah. What's the worst that anybody could tell you is no. Right. If that's the worst thing that's happened in your life as a coach telling you no, then you got a good damn life. Going. Sure do. And we sure talk do. About, when you talk about the recruiting world, I tell that to kids yearly. They they every kid comes through obviously, and they all say, "What? I want to be a Division One ball player, or I want to be a pro." And that's great. You all, you want them to all strive for for everything. You want them to strive for greatness. And my goal is to make them as good as they can physically be. You know, if that's a, a, a average Division Three ball player, but prior to their work here, they were, had no chance at playing college ball, then that's fine. That's what they did. They, they got the most out of their potential. 
But when you, you talk to a lot of these kids and they say, I want to be a D1 guy, and they start rattling off the schools they want to go to. And some it's Vanderbilt, TCU, South Carolina, <laughs> Clemson, all these schools. And you say, okay, Listen, well, those, ever, it's lost. Ever, ever since TCU's one hype video, I want to go to TCU. Yeah, right, don't we all? <laughs> but then, and you talk like Canisius, Niagara, Bonaventure. I mean, there's a lot of good, you know, Binghamton out there. There's a lot of good programs out here locally at the Division One level that these kids want to go to. But everybody wants to go to them, and they don't see that necessarily. So I tell guys, be weird. Do something that stands out in a crowd because if 100 kids email a coach the exact same email, you know, give or take a couple of words, then what did you do to, to make a difference for yourself? Because, again, it comes back to most of you guys are technically around the same, right? You know, there's yeah. if 100 kids email one coach, there's probably 10 of which that might have a chance at applying to that school. 90 have zero chance. And of that 10 or five kids of whatever the coach deems, you know, they got a shot maybe that we'll at least go look at them or we'll make, take the next step. Of those 10, well, how are you any different from anybody? So I, I tell guys, I said, don't be afraid to be different. Go, you see the coach, you see him walking through Wegmans and you know for damn sure that that's the head coach at school X. Go up and introduce yourself to him. Yeah. Why not? What, what's the worst? He ain't going to push you down. He's not going to kick you out. He'll say hi to you and he might remember you for that. You know, right. if you see him out and you go up and shake his hand firm and look him in the eye and you know, yeah, here, here's 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 this squirrely little kid that had the stones to walk up and shake my hand in public exactly. when I I didn't know who old. he was like, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that's what I think. It's uh, coaches got to be the same way. Like you said, you got to be willing to shoot shoot your shot, right? You know, yeah. go up to a coach and and ask your ask your your questions that you got, and if he answers you, great. And if he doesn't, so be it. But you know, you know at least you asked. I'm you know I'm gonna gonna actually be spending some time this week doing that myself, reaching out to some local coaches, college coaches, and stuff to try to help myself be better for my guys and. You know, building rapports with guys that I may not know or who I know of, but don't, you know, yeah. never spoken to and stuff like that. Because as of right now, it's you know, if, if I'm an assistant coach at a high school, you know, who who am I? But if you can put a name to a face and like, yeah. you know, you have a question about a kid you might be looking at, you know, you can reach out to me. Well, that's going to help my guys, and that's yeah. you know, that's what and I you want. Get, so. You get familiar. With, I mean, that's a great great thing to do because you get familiar with. Now, ten years into this, I'm familiar with almost every college coach, you know, in a pretty big radius right now. Right. And there are. There's certain coaches that I'm really close with. There's other ones that I'm not. And again, that's human nature, right? You know, there's, but because of that, I get to know, I stay in such close contact with a lot of these guys that I get to know what they're doing and what they're not doing. So I know where that I want to push our guys or where I don't want to push our guys, you know, right. and, and play, it's a player to player thing too. You know, there's certain players that I know will not thrive in certain atmospheres and vice versa. So and it's not always a knock to the coach or the program, but I know that certain kids are just not going to be a good fit there. Right. And I, it's my job with what I'm doing with kids in the recruiting world is my job is to kind of guide them in the right direction a little and not just throw the dart at the wall and see what school they're going to go to. You, know, right. you got to find a spot that they're going to hopefully stay at and not look to transfer immediately. So Absolutely. Well, we are uh, we're sitting right around the hour mark here. Um, come to find that when we sit down and talk, we just kind of go and yeah. you know, it's one of like I said, one of my favorite things to do. So uh, any uh, any shout-outs, any mentions you want to put out there for the end of this and, you know, Anything else for the good of the order? Honestly, just uh, best of luck to all any of, any of our former players or any any players heading to college right now because now they're we're almost a fall ball right now. So most kids are already back on campus, if not um, have already been on campus and with their fall team. And at college right now, this is the time that kids – this is when they kind of make or break for the spring, mm-hmm. whether kids know it or not. And we, we teach them that when they're on our 18U team each year. We kind of give them the same spiel each year and say, guys – you got to be 100% going into the fall. You can't be dinged up, which is also why we, you know, limit pitch count so much and so heavily in the summertime to make sure kids are healthy. 
because this is the time, you know, coaches get this couple weeks to look at you and they're going to decide, you know, that's their first impression really. So, and for a lot of young guys, it's a culture shock. I can tell you that much. Mm -hmm. So best of luck to those guys. And honestly, like like we keep saying as coaches, they got to do the same thing. Keep your minds open, listen to your coaches, you know, first one, be the, be the first one there, be the last one to leave the old cliche and uh, probably be better off for it. So, yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me out at your spot and being on the show. And, uh, you know, it was a pleasure talking to you. I'm sure we'll do this again at some point. Absolutely. Or Anytime, man. I appreciate and, uh, you coming out. And... I know I know. I got like six other th- six other topics I want to touch on, and we just ran out of time. So Anytime. Open um, door. Love to talk more, and I love what you're doing with this. So uh, keep it going and keep spreading the good word. Appreciate it, man. Uh, special, just quick shout-out from me, the, uh, you know, just promoting my, uh, my buddy Nick and his Beard Balm Company, for anybody who listens to this who has – facial hair uh wild oak beard coat check them out they got some great scents good products and it ain't gonna break your bank if you drop the code nightmare 10 get 10 percent off your order just trying to help uh help a buddy out with another local business and uh i think that's all i got for you guys today thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time